Welcome to the second episode of the new series, The Ten Lost Tribes in Jewish Consciousness, here on Svarim Chatter. And I'm Nachi Weinstein. In this episode, we'll follow up on the first episode, which was a broad overview of the entire legend, with this episode being a look at the 12 tribes, the older tribes generally. I think when discussing lost tribes here, as the series is going to do, it's important to understand what the tribes were generally, what their various attributes were, their characteristics, and what it is that we're missing with them not being here today. Uh, it's, it's easy to say it's just, you know, there's some Jews missing, but it's more than that and what it is that we're missing. And that's what this is, this episode, a Torah-based look at this through the sources. And it's also appropriate that this episode is being posted, Parshas Vayichi, with the brachos of Yaakov Avinu being to the various Shvatim. I was asked by a devoted listener to lay out the order of the rest of the series. And while it's not set in stone, I think it's, it is useful to kind of lay out the rough parameters for the listeners. So the first episode was a general overview. The second episode, this one began being an overview from on the tribes, generally all the tribes. The third episode will be an episode on the Sambation River and a legend associated with that. The fourth episode being an episode about Eldar Hadani, the mysterious shadowy figure that appears in 9th century Kairouan, modern-day Tunisia, claiming to be a part of the tribe of Dan. Going forward, there'll be episodes on the lost tribes in the 15th and 16th century, kind of in Europe, what the you know feel was about them, kind of the late medieval, early modern period. There will be an episode about the Red Jews and the Maisak Damas. The Red Jews are kind of in, in German and Old Yiddish literature. That's what the, they became associated. It was a phrase associated with the lost tribes. There will be an episode about David Ruveni. He claims he's the brother of the king of Ruven, God, and half of Manasseh, and he shows up in Italy in the 16th century. There will also be an episode about Prester John. He's the Christian parallel, so to speak, in some ways, not, not exactly to the Lost Tribes. Lost Tribes come up in that story, so that's not a Jewish story, but it's very important for this story, as you'll hear. Uh, there will also be an episode on Antonio de Montezinos, Montezinos Aaron Halevi, the former the Murano converso who appears in, with his story that he saw the tribe of Reuben and the Lost Tribes in South America, and this inspires the famous Dutch rabbi Menashe ben Israel to petition Oliver Cromwell to let the Jews back in England. There will also be an episode on Menashe ben Israel and his book, The Hope of Israel, Mikvah Israel, which he discusses this, and especially the Hebraic Indian theory, the idea that the Native Americans were descendants of the Lost Tribes. There will be a general episode about the Hebraic Indian theory, as well as an episode about Rabbi Stroll of Shklov and the Bnei Moshe. He is the one of the Talmidei of the Vilna Gain, and they're searching for the Lost Tribes. Uh, there will also be an episode about the tribes of in the Ethiopian Jews and general South American, South African tribes, as well as Indian Jews and the that part. There will also be an episode about some other, and there will be like one or two more episodes, not sure uh, exactly. But that's kind of roughly the rough parameters, and feel free to reach out via email, farmchatter at gmail.com, or to message me. The corporate sponsor of this series as always, is Gluck Plumbing. For all your service needs, big or small in New Jersey, with a full-service division from boiler changeouts, main sewer line snakeouts, camera ink main lines, to a simple faucet leak, Gluck Plumbing Service Division has you covered. Give them a call, 732-523-1836, extension 1. And please tell them you heard them on the podcast and thank them for their continued support of the podcast. This is their third series sponsored here on Sparring Chatter. This episode of the series is sponsored by Mosaica Press. Check out their many new titles, including Speaking to God by the late chaplain and innovative Jewish educator, Rabbi Zev Shostak. 
which teaches us that tefillah is more than merely reciting prayers, but a way to speak to God and develop a close relationship with Him, showing us how prayer is a way to approach God with love and inspiration. This safer will guide you toward developing a deeper, more personal approach to prayer. Mosaic Press is renowned for its expert editors and designers bringing together top Jewish minds. Their influential books capture a worldwide audience, sparking meaningful conversations across our community. Get your copy now at mosaicapress.com and use the code CHATTER, that's C-H-A-T-T-E-R, for an exclusive 15% off. And I'll put a link in the show's notes for this book and in general to check out Mosaic Press and their many titles. To sponsor an individual episode for this series or for any other episode, please email me, svarmchatter at gmail.com and see the links in the show's notes below. Uh, additionally, there will be connected essays uh, and kind of a written post for each episode of this series with kind of behind-the-scenes information, how I got to the episode, what I thought about it, and things like that at the new Svarim Chatter Substack. And for those of you not familiar with Substack, it's basically a blog, but it gets sent via email, or you can use a Substack app, and you can check it out. Also, Substack, so that's that's free, and the episodes in this series will be free, but Substack does offer a paid option. It's $5.99 a month or $60 a year, or there's a founding member, which is very appreciated, $180 a year. Uh, and that is for... Uh, farm chatter it's a way to support farm chatter if you want to without a sponsorship you know just something less and also there will be bonus content on the Substack, uh, not necessarily about the Tenlos tribes but in general for those who subscribe and some of that is actually starting very soon please subscribe rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform especially on if you use Apple Podcasts, I really appreciate those that have rated and reviewed. It does help the podcast. And finally, there's a Svarm Chatter WhatsApp community. There's an admin-only chat where I post new books and Svarm and things like that, as well as there are two associated uh, chats where you can talk about Svarm and, and the podcast. And there's a link to that in the show's notes. And with that, enjoy the episode, the second in the series. And as always, if you have any feedback, please email me, svarmchatter at gmail.com. If you're on the WhatsApp chats, Message me on WhatsApp and enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Svarm Chatter podcast and another episode here in the, on- in the ongoing series on Svarm Chatter entitled The Ten Lost Tribes in Jewish Consciousness. For this episode of the series, I'm going to be joined by our official male, who is the Mechaber of the Sefer Shifte Yisrael, which discusses the 12 Shvatim. Um, but I think it's important to have in this series, actually, your official reached out to me when I mentioned, I think, on the Spain series, one of the other series as one of the introductions there, one of the, either the Spain series or a regular episode, how I was thinking of do, working on this series here on the Ten Lost Tribes. And I think that I thought it was a good idea, while although the series is about the Ten Lost Tribes and it's talking about them, I think it's important to understand what the Shvatim were rather than just going into this thinking that, oh, you know, Jews here, Jews there, some lost, some around, and it's all the same. Everyone's just, you know, Yidin, everyone's just Jewish. I think it's important if we talk about specific Shvatim, there are different special attributes, special things about them, where they were from, where they lived, various differences about them. And we can discuss that, especially a lot of this from a Torah-based uh, background, like our official does in his Safer Shift Israel. So thank you, official, for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's start off. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Hey, I grew up near Boston on a farm. My great-grandfather was one of the founders of the Boston Rechassidus. I later went to Yeshiva in Sifta of Long Beach for high school. And I went to Neretz Shol for Yeshiva and Kolel with a short while. And Neretz Shol Yeshiva Senegal. So how did you become interested in this topic of the Shvatim? And I should mention your Sefer, 
um, has been published a number of times. There's been a number of editions. So you printed this. You'll be able to tell me the first time it was printed, but it's been a few decades, I think. And yes. it's been, a few, I think it's a fourth edition or fifth edition. So how did you get into this? And it's something that you've been continuously revising and redoing and working on for years. The real case of Libo Chafetz, I started to gravitate to the topic when I was giving Chaburas and Yeshiva. In fact, the first piece in the Sefer is from my Shevbrochus. And I just kept coming back to it and coming back to it. And it obviously, it chose me as a topic. I will say that before I ever got into learning, I had an interest as a kid in the States of America and in the presidents. Seeing this concept of different subgroups making a whole was always interesting. And I finally got a focus on it when I got to the Shvatim. So, why did you decide, though, to write a Sefer, to put together an entire work about the Shvatim? I, I was saying Chaburz, and as I was leaving Kolo, my Rebbeim urged me to continue what I was doing. There needed to be a, a format for it, and it wasn't going to be with Bachrim that much. They started to do the research, and it just became immersive. Okay, so let's jump into it. Let's jump into the, the Shvatim. Again, even though the series on Aserah Shvatim, this is on the Shnei Master Shvatim, on the 12 Shvatim. So let's sort of, who were the 12 tribes, right off the bat, a simple question. Yaakov Vino had 12, 12 sons and a daughter. His first wife, Leah, had four sons at one time and two sons later on. He also had a maidservant, Zilpah, who had two sons. His other wife, Rachel, had two children, two sons, and her maidservant, Bila, had two sons, a total of 12. How they're organized is, is different ways of organizing them, as we'll see. Right. So, and one thing that you do discuss right in the beginning, you have a chart about the birth order. I think it's important to discuss that right here, that it's not always the simple way it's listed. So there's different opinions. So if you want to talk about the order of the Shvatim that they were born in. Right. Some people take, take the Torah's list as literally chronological. Others have Midrashim that interleave that after Levi was born, Bill and Zippel start to have children. But I, I think for, for most purposes, the chronological order is significant. Although I would tell you that sometimes you'll find chronological order based on within mothers. That means you'll have all six of Leah's children, then two of Bill, then two of Zilpa, and then two of, of uh, Rachel. Notably in the Choshen, according to Ben Abachi, which is the most common opinion, you find the first six stones are all children of Leah. Okay, so you lay this out in a chart in the beginning of the Sefer. You have Rashi's opinion, like Achtoyev and the Ramban, and then you also have a chart um, with one, two, three, four, five opinions on the Shvatim um, and their... The months and the mazalis, the constellation, so that you have another chart as well discussing that. So uh, let's talk about the subgroups, breaking the Shvatim out into subgroups. You mentioned that there were different mothers, different imayas of the Shvatim. So what about the uh, subgroups of the okay. uh, the, the foundational source of this part of the Sefer comes from the Tzadik of Lublin. He wrote extensively, there are two main groups, the Bnei Leia and the Bnei Rachel. The Bnei Leia would seemingly fit in the, in the mold of Avramavinu. Their nisyonos were in the areas of Arias, forbidden relationships, just like Yishmo was a spin-off of Avram for, for, for the bad. Rachel and the had children who were not subject to these types of temptations, but they had issues more with kinah and sinna, fighting and, and strife. That was more in the, on the line of Yitzchak and Dinan, and more when they had failings, it was more along the lines of Esau's failings. So Rapsodic basically left it as these two major groups. I guess what I uncovered over the work of the Sefer was the third significant group, and that is the two shvachos together. That is not four groups, but three groups. And I get this from partially from the Zion Latorah in the beginning of Sefer uh, Bamidbar, 
it says at length why he thinks Bnei Shvachas is one entity. Really, you see this at the end of Vayishlach. When Lovin is going through the tent, he goes through all Rachel, all Leah, and all Hashvachos. Benobachim makes the point that it's all one, one group. Finally, you see in the morale, in the beginning of Nir Mitzvah, it says the word Echad stands for the, the Dalit is the four children of the Shvachos, the eight is the Bnei Rachel, Leah, and the one is Levi. We'll come back to that later, but the point is you see they're pulled together. What does this third group do? That's the key issue. What is the group? So they're they're descent. The, the, you notice when Leah has her children, she has four children in the beginning. She, she names them, she does everything. Same with Rachel. When it comes to to Dunaf Nasha, the children of Bill and Zilpa, each time it says Ben Liakov. With if we go with the Maral, which I discuss later, he says there was a Hispatlas of Leah and Rachel. It, it, we're giving the Shvachos to the entity of Yaakov. Yaakov is the third Mita, Mita in between Mita of Rachel and Leah, just like Yaakov is the Mita in between Avram and, and Yitzhak's Chesed and Gevura. So that is a, is a, it's a, it's a calmer Mita in some way. It's not as strong an emphasis as you have in the children of Leah and Rachel. I, I showed in a number of places that Bnei Shavos actually acted as buffers between the Bnei Rachel and Leah. They're the peace, peacemakers, especially Usher and Naftali. Which symbolizes peace, and they marry the, the kings and the, on them. They're the, they're the bridge and the link between the other ones. But as a third group, they have this meet of Teferis, more of Yaakov, but also with the Nisyonos of, of Arazara, as opposed to the Nisyonos of Arias and, and Rasicha. One group that's an exception is Yisachar and Zulun. Yisachar and Zulun are, are the later children of, of Leah, but they're all different. If you notice by the by birth, it says Ben Yaakov, Ben Yaakov. They're almost like tacked on to the Bnei Shvachos. And the answer is that they were, once the Shvachos were brought into the picture, it wasn't the same intensity of the relationship between Yaakov and Leah. So they have, they have a partial relationship to the Shvachos. And if you look at a map of Eretz you'll find that in the south is all the children of Leah, Shimon, Yehuda, Ruvain. The middle is the children of Rachel, Yom and Ephraim and Asha. Up top is children of of Bill uh, and Zilpa mainly, Don of Tali and Usher, but nestled in there above the children of Yosef and below the Shvachas is Ephraim, is not Yisachar and Zvulun, because they're middle but upper middle. They, they're almost like a swing vote. They're, they're the calmer ones. They're not as much leaders per se. They're not the king, kingdom family. They're not the opposition family, but they are a buffer as well. That's how he fleshed out that was the main overview of the 12 shots and how they break down. Now, the important one here is Levi. Where does Levi fall? When we talk about 12 Shvatim, as we kind of buried the lead a little there, where is Levi? Is Levi included in those 12 Shvatim, or are you breaking out Yosef into two, and for Amanasha, and we're not including Levi, so then it's essentially 13? Well, that's a very good question. I already mentioned Maral, that the number 13 encompasses both versions, both Levi and the Fry Menashe. But, um, in truth, it's either or. You find there's a source for the, for the for one designation of the Shvatim, which is to go in the order that they were in the desert. That itself comes from a medrash when Yaakov died. He asked the sons, please stand around my bed and stand on this side. The side that they stayed on would be the side that they would occupy in the desert. Levi's left up because he's a he's like the Rebbe. And and Yosef himself is left up because he's a king. So that's why Ephraim and Asha slip in that 12. That's the same 12 you have the carbonate of the Nesim in Parshish Naso, and each one gave carbonate of the other. That follows the order 
going clockwise around the midbar. When Levi is included, then you drop Frimanasha. For example, in the Choshen, Levi is part of the 12 tribes there. Hagriz and Harevo, Levi is actually very interesting. If you look carefully in Kisavo, Levi is on one of the mountains, and Hagrizim, also down in the middle with the Khanim. But there's no Frimanasha in that listing. It's either one or the other. Now, at, at a certain level, Blessed Lovo is going to be a shlom of what should have been Medrash and Yaakov could have got together with Billah if Reuben hadn't intervened. It would have been two extra children, would have been Yosef, Rhyme, and Menasha. Medina would have been 15, that would have been Shiftekha. But that's, that's going to be left for the future. So let's just go back to go back for a minute. I mentioned um, that you have these charts as well. You talk about the months and some other things. If you want to talk a little bit about that before we go on. So it is, there's the implication in Sefer Yitzhira and other places that the months are tied to the Shvatim, or that the, the Shvatim actually inform the months of the year, <coughs> inform and are informed by the astrological signs. So the, there are different formulations. Ripsodic says they all have a truth at one level. I stuck with the one which was the Arizal and the Gruz understanding of Sefer Yitzhira, which again goes with the order of the the golem in the, in the camp. That is, you start from the east, you work your way down. Yehuda Yisachar Zulan goes with the first three months of the spring, Nisan Yer Sivan, and you go to the next southern group, which is Ruvain Shimon Gud, which corresponds to the months Tamas of an El, the summer of Kishvatim, so to speak. Then you keep moving to the west. You've got a Fry Menashem and Yemen tied to the months of Tishrei Cheshvan Kislev. Finally, you move up north, you get to three. Three of the four Shvachos, Donosh and Aftali, corresponding to Teve Shvat Nadar. Now, this order is used by a number of Shishas Farim to describe what the, what the months have to do with that Shevet. For example, Bnei Saskar follows that pattern, Tzadik and the Pritzadik follows that pattern, as well as others. I, I tried to go one thing. I've heard other people give Shurim, they say, it's this one according to this one, this one or that one, but I find it very confusing to tell you simultaneously the months is four different people. And it becomes just like like two two loose connections. So I stuck with one just go around. So generally the order that we you're going with is the chronological order, birth order, but does it is it does it matter um on the mothers or does it go straight? It's actually not the birth order. It's actually the order in the in the desert that laid out in the first chapter of Bamidbar. So Yehudi Sakras will go first, they're not chronological. What it is is the children of Leah are the first two first two groupings of three. Children of Rachel are the next groupings, and the children of the Shvach are the last three groupings. Now talk about chronolog- the- yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. The main chronological place you find is in the breastplate of the Queen Guttel. That is chronological, but within mothers. Now let's talk about those, um, the the golem and being in the midbar, and also as you mentioned, each shavit has their own. Um, stone on the Kayangal, um on the Chayshin. So, what does this tell us about the Shvat, those groupings of the Degalim and just the stones in general? So, part of my goal was to define, as much as possible, what the central traits or mitos were of each Shavit. The Shavit is defined by what their characteristics are, what their Nisyonis are, who their affiliations are, where they were in Eretz Yisrael. All of this was, was fair game, so to speak, to flesh out the picture. When the, when the Shvatim were in the Midbar, they had already divided themselves into tribes. They had different 
different lanes, so to speak, when they went through Kriyas Yamsuf. They'd already been designated by Yaakov to stand around his bed in a different way. It just needed to be fleshed out and defined. They already had brachas from, from their father Yaakov. Brachas, to a certain extent, defined what they were. It heightened the awareness of what they could be. Oftentimes, it focused on something they had done. That was their shining moment. For example, Shevet Shimon, you know, they were criticized about things in Shechem. Their flag had Shechem on it. Because at a certain level, their mysterious nefesh, their kanos against um, mistreatment of their sister, was something they would be very proud of. So you can have both some, some criticism on something and also be a shining moment. So a number of the shvatim have on their flags either an animal, epitomize a quite trait that they have, whether it's a nachash, whether it's a naftali's deer, the, the speed is rizus, which typifies naftali. The chamor, which is not always a complimentary thing, but in Yisachar's case, it means pack animal that works very hard and diligently in Torah. So they have animals. You may have other things from stories. For example, the Ruvain's flag, you have Dudaim, you have the plant that he brought for his mother, and was extra careful not to, not to steal, which they describe. Not always easy for a firstborn not to try to grab more. So that appears on their stone, on their flag. Besides the flags, you have the stones. The stones are in the breastplate of the coin Gadol. They have schools. The main source for the stones is you look at Rabbeinu Bachia and Parshish Tzavah, and he goes through each stone and what the schools are of the stones. So very fascinating stuff. For example, it says in Shvashavit Dun that are like a serpent of no shechik faisus. He bites the heels of the of the horse, and the rider falls off. Naftali is the antithesis. Naftali is being a swift deer, and his rhesus is the antithesis of the, of the serpent. And actually, he's compared to a rider who doesn't fall off. And Rabbeinu Bachi says this, the stone of Shevet Naftali is Chevaux. Chevaux points out Chevaux is plural for horses in French. They're the, they're the, they're the riders that they're not slowed down by the Nachash of, of Dun, so to speak. It's a hard because they just keep moving. So there's very various ways of checking out these stones, but it's an area we're not that familiar with nowadays, that the uh, metaphysical qualities of stones. But you take this the banner and the stone together. You also take the location of Israel, as I mentioned. I mean, north and south has implications. Well, your neighbors are implications. And then you take the brothers of motion and yell together, and you start to get a fleshed up picture of the shavit. That's how I treat each shavit separately. And this is something you do in the Sefer. Um, I should mention, you do have in the beginning um, Mamarim Kolium, general kind of Mamarim, general chapters, and then you go through each one. You have a chapter on each Shevet. And I think, again, part of this episode here, especially being in the series, is to point out, as you say, the unique characteristics of each Shevet, which they had. Uh, so as you mentioned already, you mentioned the... Um, you mentioned the, the, the Golem, you mentioned being on the, the Cheshen... But there's also another part, is also the brachas. Obviously, famous, um, Yaakov Avinu gives them brachas at the end of his life in Vaychia, and Moshe Rabbeinu also gives the, each shevet a bracha. So how does that inform us of each specific quality or characteristics of each shevet? So with rare exceptions, most people are just finding the, the, the brachas is defining what is their role in life? How do they contribute to the cloud? I'd say Yaakov are somewhat more how the individual shevet has to deal themselves, how they have to overcome their tendencies. Yaakov Yeruvain's for impulsiveness, Shemulevi for being hot-headed, and they define what they can contribute as an individual. Moshe's get more into, from a historical situation, how they're contributors to the, to the general cloud. You need people who are the pushers, the drivers, anyone who 
go out to other countries and do export import. You know, it needs people to stay home and keep integrity. That's the difference between the different shvatim in there. And it, it expresses itself in the people in Tanakh who uh, came from the shvatim. And I try to, to a good to extent to show how they embody characteristics that were mentioned for the Chavit. Like um, many times it, it, it actually alludes to the person. Like in Dun's Brachu by Yaakov, alludes greatly to, to Shimshon. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's important to mention specific individuals from Tanakh that show this um, as we're sitting here discussing various characteristics of the Shvatim, and in the Sefer you go through even more in depth. We're not going to go through each Shavit here specifically, and each each aspect, each characteristic of them, a special quality, but it's important to show that there were are individuals that we see in Tanakh that did embody these characteristics. You mentioned Shimshon and Dun. Do you have any others that you want to mention as well? Yes. Um, Shavit Yehuda is known for being not affected by Vodazara compared to other Shvatim. They are not vulnerable. And there's the key people later on didn't give in to, to Vodazara despite great pressure was Daniel, Hanu Mishal Vazaria, all in the Navi. And Mordechai is called Yehudi because he's called for Vodazara. That's one example. Another measure says that Rachel had the meat of Shtika. She didn't give away the secrets of, of the Simon. She came to lay and didn't tell Yaakov what was going on. And that's a big schusser. Do you remember that she has a schus that none of the other of us have to, to try to hold back the Khurban. This meat of Shtika expressed herself time and again in Binyamin. Binyamin's stone is called the Yashvei. Yesh Peveinu Magid. He knows it, Yosef, but he doesn't say a word. Expresses itself in Shol, expresses itself in Esther and Mordechai, not telling who she is. It's another example of, of a Shavit expressing itself. And even Ruvain. Ruven was Paseh B'tshuva, first one to tshuva, even on, even on a thing that was an intention, not an action. And Hoshe is the one who says, Shuvi Yisrael, we'll be saying next week, Shabbat Shuva, Shuvi Yisrael is from the Navi Hoshe, who came from Ruven. Okay, so now um, we're going to, we will discuss Samar Sarah Shvatim. Uh, it's important to discuss the meaning the Aseris Hashvatim, which is uh, as in the law, the ten lost tribes, the uh, part of this series, the uh, main title, what the series is about. But I just want to ask you before that, um, before we even get into that, are there were there any Shvatim that were considered special or um, or more important? Obviously, Yehuda is Malchus, and you have Bukhar Bukhar was given to Yosef from Ruvain. Are there any? Is that accurate? Are they considered more? You know, in important than others? Very good question. On one hand, we, we stress that they're all equal at some level. Some they nickel together. But if I can borrow tongue-in-cheek from Animal Farm, all shotgun are equal, some are more equal than others. If you look at Hargriz and Haravel, there's a little indication. Parshas Re'e mentions the beginning of the Parsha, of the, of the Haftorah, five different stones. Look at the Malm. He, he identifies these five stones as being the stones of Yehuda, Yisachar, Binyamin, Yosef, and Levi. And then it just says, and all other precious stones. Clearly seem to be better. So when you look at Hargrizim and Haifel, Mushfashim have a very hard time why Hargrizim had the six people that it had. But if you look at the six there, it is in fact Yehuda, Yisachar, Levi, um, Yosef, Binyamin. The sixth one, Shimon, is kind of Nichol in Yehuda because we know from later on that Shevet Shimon did not have a separate portion. It's cities inter, interwoven into this into the Nachla of, of Yehuda. 
Shimon did not get a bracha in Parshas of Bracha, but it says Shema Shem Kol Yehuda, that Shimon kind of sneaks in under the guise of Yehuda, so that's why he's together on Hargrizim with the other five. It would appear that there's, there's an upper group and a lower group, so to speak. So um, let's do some other questions about the Shvatim, um, intermarriage, so to speak, between Shvatim, one Shevet to another Shevet. Um, that originally they didn't, then they did. What's the, what's the story with that and how common, how prevalent um, was that? Did they prefer to stay amongst the Shevet or did they marry out into the other Shvatim? Good question. The first generation coming into Israel had to stay married within their shaman. You know, that's from the story of Benoist Slavchad. I believe the reason was they wanted the integrity of each Nachli. You know, there's a there's a Sifri where Shimon Yochai says there's, there's 13 times it says, oh, it's the beginning of Parsha Zekiv. And that tells you there's 13 different lands, so to speak. You know, people had different lands, they had different kochus. People in Usher did primarily fruit trees, mainly olive trees. Naftali also gave fruits and things of that nature. Other, others were bread baskets of wheat. Others were, were you know, wayfarers in the export-import industry. So they wanted the integrity. They wanted them certain meters to be, be found in, in abundance in, in 13 different flavors, so to speak, rather than just kind of homogenized, all one flavor. But that had its own problems. When you still fight people, as we know, start to get factions. So after one generation, it was allowed to remarry within the other Shvatim, and that's part of the, part of the happiness of, of the holiday of Tubav. Nevertheless, Rabbi Nubachia says, we still prefer, at least by some Shvatim, to stay within the Shevet, and the, the Shofet Yiftach is called in the Navi, Ben Ishazona. Rabbi Nubachia says it does not mean that his wife, mother was a harlot. It means that she was from a different Shevet, and she was spoken of disparagingly where he lived as having come from a mixed marriage. So it seems that at least some of the people did not approve of it. However, we certainly have some very esteemed people in the history of Kali Israel who are from mixed marriages. Notably, Mordechai came from Yehuda and Binyamin. Shimshin came from Yehuda and Dun. Um, Yona, the Navi, came from Zvulun and, and Usher. And there are others like that also. I would say it was definitely accepted. But some people were more, more, more than others wanted to keep more homogeneity within the shape. Okay, so here, let me ask you a general question about the Sefer, and then we'll get to the Aserah Shvatim part, which is, again, as I said, you go through, you have these general um, chapters in the beginning. Where you, another thing you discussed is Seder Maraglim, which we didn't mention, but you discussed some other things, some things there that we did discuss, like the Shvatim Har and Har Evil, where the Shvatim were in the Midbar, where they were in Eretz Yisrael, etc. Um, then you go through very, the, the remaining chapters of the Sefer, remaining, the bulk of the Sefer is, Shevet Ruvain, Shevet Shimon, Shevet Levi, Shevet Yehud, you know, you go through each Shevet um, throughout. Are there any specific characteristics that you want to mention that are uh, particularly jump out at you or things that people don't know maybe? I mean, probably a lot of these people don't know. Um, you can be picking any Shevet. People have mentioned that the thing they gained most from this Sefer was hearing about the, the four Shvatim of the, of the Shvachos, that is Dun, Usher, Naftali, and God. That's because they don't, they get very short brachas. They don't have too many people who are long-term malchus or kahuna and everything. I think people, as I mentioned before, these shvatim had sort of a bridge role. They were almost like the peacemakers. It, let's take Shevet Usher, for example. Shevet Usher was known for providing the olive oil for the whole country. Olive oil was also known 
as a cosmetic, that the women of, of Shevet Asher were very beautiful, and they were married to Malachim and Kohanim. That means if you think about it, you know, I know you had on your Spain thing that marriage often tied families together, families of esteem. If Asher were the wives of all these important people, they were the sister-in-laws and sisters, they, that allowed them to be a bridge to make peace between the, the different factions of strong views. Naftali was interesting to me. Naftali is the, the, has the fruits that are sweetest. Here is Gnosis, so to speak. There's a lot of Kabbalistic stuff in, this, in the portion of Naftali, mainly the cities of Tiberia and Sfat. And uh, there's more than brachna people going to Gnosis to eat fruits and people going out of their mind and having a sugar, sugar attack, which obviously means more Kabbalistic things. In fact, the, the well known as the Torah of Naftali is probably the the source of the Kabbalistic uh, directions in Klai Yisrael. That's just two of those. God was a very different group. God were very ascetic warriors. They wanted to stay in every yard, and not so much because of their animals, although that's mentioned, because they wanted to stay where Moshe was buried. They were very tied to this idea of Allah Moshe Sinai. The, the form of learning of Pilpul really started after the death of Moshe when they came to Eretz Yisrael. In the, in the Midbar, it was Allah Moshe Sinai. And the person who stands up from Shevet God is Elio. Elio is going to come eventually and resolve all our questions. Elio is going to be this, this throwback, so to speak, to the time of Halach Moshe Sinai. So that's, they're much more straightforward, tough, border, border patrol, so to speak. And um, as you said, the other Shvatim are more well-known, so to speak, so... The, this is the part that people find more interesting. So let's talk about Aseris Hashvatim, the Aseris Hashvatim. So first okay. of all, who are the Aseris Hashvatim that ended up first breaking away from Yehuda that comprised uh, Malchus Yisrael and then ended up being lost? Okay. The ten tribes are not ever exactly mentioned. They're not listed. We assume that they're the following. We assume that they are from Ruvain. Yisachar, Zvulun, God, Asher, Dan, Naftali, that is the four children of the Shvachos, three of the four sons of Leah, and Ephraim and Asha. If you want a tenth, you similarly have to put Shimon in there. Because Shimon is not Yehud, he's not Benyamin. However, go to the eighth paragraph of Masecha Sota, talking about the exhortations of the Meshuch Melchama, warning people to be fearless. And it says, you know, people unify with are really dastardly people. It's not like Yehuda fighting Shimon, not like Shimon fighting Minyamin. Says in our show, why are you mentioning Shimon, Shimon, Yom, Yehuda of all people? It must be that when they had the, the Golos of Ten Shvatim, Shimon, whose cities are interwoven in the cities of Yehuda, they never left. They're part of that group. Unbelievable. It's really, you don't have a tenth tribe just yet, but you think about this. It's a whole different spin on, on Shimon. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the Parshish Masse, list the, the people who are going to be the Nassim going into Eretz Yisrael with 12 people. And by nine of them, it says the word Nasi, so to speak. Three of them, it doesn't. Yehuda, and Yaman, and Shimon. Or Shimon bothered. Why did it say Nasi over there? But with what we're saying with the Marsha, it's really, it's really understandable. Anybody who's part of the eventual Malchus that lasted through the second, second Malchus doesn't get the name Nasi. They're, they're like Tuffel to the king. The other ones who broke off, they have the word Nasi. So the question is, who's the 10th tribe? 
So I can't go into it now, but there's, I have an extensive thing trying to show that eventually the second second part of Menashe becomes the, the 10th tribe. And they have a connection to Shimon. So find a copy. And <laughs> yeah, the Shimon, Shimon part is an issue. I know uh, one of the other academics... One of the other, one of the academics in this series mm-hmm. has written on this as well. Um, perhaps I'll do an episode on that from that angle. But there is the Shimon part, like you said, is the issue. Um, is Shimon one of the Sarah Shvatim or not? And Shimon, as you mentioned, was by Yehuda, the area of Yehuda. So it kind of it doesn't. They weren't even in the in the, in the area. So Shimon is kind of a problem. But Correct. Yes. So there's you know, like you said, ways around it. But that's to mention. Okay. So, um, so just you know, to conclude. So. Are you going with the sheet to that? Are you are you saying that Shimon is one of the ten, or Shimon is not? So Shimon is part of remaining today, and Shimon is not one of the Sarasvatim that was exiled, lost. I'm I'm going with the assumption that Shimon is, stays with Yudim and Yomim. Okay. Should I should mention there are different opinions. There seem to be agreement that somebody from the ten Shvatim is still there. There's a Gemara that says that Yirmiyot brought some of the ten Shvatim back. Yes. But you see individual cases. You see Umar and Pesachim Daftalad. Where somebody says, I want to go on a ship, I want to go you know, sail away. They found he was from Zulan. Another guy was very litigious. So every time he had a chance, he'd say, let's go to court, let's go to court. They found he was from Dun. This was time of the Gemara. And in time of, of Achishverish, he was having trouble finding a way, a loophole to keep his wife Vashti alive, called in the, the Chum of Yavisachar. Sachar was obviously from the Ten Tribes. It means there were individuals who stayed behind. So it's good for, for us. Metaphysically, to know we have people from all all Shvatim coursing through Klai Israel's veins. Right, especially if one also considers Rabbi Kiva's opinion in the Mishnah, which is that the Asar Shvatim are gone and never coming back. So there are no more Asar Shvatim in that. So, like you're saying, there are still, there were some left in Klai Israel because those, the Asar Shvatim, quote unquote, are gone, according to Rabbi Kiva. So that's what you're saying. So some of them were remaining. Now, did the Shvatim get, you know, um, get along with each other? Some Shvatim were more prone to civil war strife. This is what I mentioned before from Rutsadik. The Bnei Rachel had more issues with, with competition, jealousy, fighting, strife. You find Yerob Minavat of Ephraim split off. You find Binyamin had to fight with all of Israel, another child of Rachel's children. Prime and Ash, I believe, have a scuffle in Sefer Shoftim. You don't really find it with the other Shvatim. You never find Yisachar and Zulun fighting with each other. Or uh, Yehuda and Naftali. It's just, when it happens, and keep in mind, Menashe was also, Menashe was a shepherd of, of Yiftach who objected to intermarriage. There was a certain part of uh, almost states' rights, you know, if I even say that, more focused on keeping our own Shavit's integrity and not being, you know, caving in to other people. But I would hope that they got along generally. They certainly made enough efforts to do that through the Hoshin, through everything else. Right. Would you compare it to is, is, is an apt analogy of us sitting in the United States, of like various states comprising the United States together? Um, again, not a complete analogy, Lahavdol, not making a comparison to the states. But the point is, um, as you were saying, distinct parts of a whole rather than separate. Completely separate factions. Well, the civil war in the South was at some com- comparability. They felt that their states' rights were were being diminished. I think they came around and saw that they were better off not splitting off. 
You don't see, you don't see, except for the Sarah Shvatim, you don't find anybody else seceding from the Shvatim. I'd have to say that that, that was almost revolutionary, came through a Nevoa, that they should even have the audacity to split off and make a separate confederation. So you mentioned before um, Marsha, Maral, Rav Tzadik, you mentioned some earlier, some later Svarim. Are there, and you mentioned Medrash, of course, what sources in Svarim did you use? Is it basically everything, essentially, because you kind of covered everything, or were there some some specific ones that you leaned on? Well, I mentioned that Rav Tzadik was, was very seminal for me in understanding the, the groupings of Nehrochum and Eleah. I have to give him the credit for that. It was basically scaffolding. I started from the Gemara, I started from the Midrashim. I worked my way up to the Rishonim, and the Psukim, then I got to the Maral Marsha, then to Hasidus and Musr. And I should mention, I did not have any online sources at the time. It might have been a, it might have been a benefit. I was not overwhelmed by data. It took many years to gather up the sources, and often by chance, often by having to see a safer in somebody's house. I wonder if someone was doing this work now, if they would just get overwhelmed with the sheer amount of volume you could generate at one time. Now, what about Haskamas? Did you have a number of Haskamas on the Sefer? So who did you get Haskamas from? And it's coming from Shmuel Weinberg, that's all the Rashi of, second Rashi of Neri Stroll. Uh, Haskamas Yibar from Shmuel Kamenetsky. That is Haskamas from David Cohen from Brooklyn. Another, a number of other Rabbanu who I didn't know that well, but encouraged me to continue with the Sefer. And an experience, actually, I went to visit Ravarn Schechter after the, the Sefer was out. And I came to his office and gave him his, his safer, and he literally sat there for an hour reading the safer while I was sitting there. He would look for it like 20 minutes and say, who'd you learn morale with? And I said, my shies. And he said, okay. He looked down again, and he kind of picked this up later and said, not lefiaruch exactly, but it's very good. You should, you should. You must live with it. People were, were quite encouraging along the way. Now, as I mentioned, you put out a number of editions. Is this is the fourth edition? What number edition is this? This is the fourth edition. What has been changed throughout the years? When did you originally print it? I published it in 1997. And uh, 1500 term went relatively quickly, and now they're going out like 500 at a time. I know more than I do about the the how and why this farm being published, being spread. The fact that you never heard of it was, was surprising, in fact. Yeah, we should tell the listeners, when you reach out to me, um, I said, I'd never heard of it. And even you sent me a copy, I hadn't seen it. I don't know why. Um, but you're saying, well, we'll talk about it being available where listeners can purchase a copy if they want a copy. And I should mention, it's a pretty big safer. Um, so it's about over 400 pages, so it's pretty big. But one more thing on the editions. Have you changed anything since that original edition? Or is it mainly just reprinting it just to put it back in print that it's available for purchase? I, I tightened it up. I, I renumbered the chapters. I redid the, the index in the back. I should, should mention who, who got me focused on this. The Revionary Show, who I don't think is known to too many people, except the people who are really in the know, that's from Nochum Lansky Shlita, who got me to learn of Tzadik, who got me to learn of Chal, who helped me working on things. Work, this, this whole, there's a derech here which permeates the chapters. We've talked mainly about the introduction, which is almost like encyclopedic in the sense of a lot of facts organized. The next ones are more are more chidushim, more working on Chazal's 
that bring out the nature of each shavit. There's probably four to six chapters on each shavit. And the style there is, if a person just reads the introduction, they're shortchanging themselves. They really should should dive in, pick a shavit they like, and read a few of the my marm, see if the type of thing they would like. I was going to say, we're kind of shortchanging the safer, which, you know, okay, but that is what it is. It's a podcast episode, not an entire safer. But as you say, you go pretty in depth, a lot of various mamar and various aspects and things that and other things about each shavit that you go through in in each chapter. There are sub chapters in the chapters, so to speak. The thing we haven't mentioned is the months are informed by the holidays in that month, and the months are often informed by the, by the shavit. So I talk a lot about why Naftali is related to Purim, the month of Adar. It's not an obvious thing. Talk about uh, Reuven and Tammuz. We talk about, I talk at length about why Hanukkah straddles two months. It's the significance of straddling um, Kislev and Teves. Talk about the, the Binyamin aspects of Hanukkah and the Don aspects of Hanukkah. I think that's where there's, there's real room for contribution. Look at it from a different perspective. Um, okay, so I will put a link in the show's notes. Well, I'll, I'll try, I should say, to put a link in the show's notes where to purchase the safer. Is the safer available now? Should it be available in farm stores? Yes, Maznaim is the distributor both in Aristotle and America. Anybody can go to their store. If the store doesn't have it, they can ask them to order from Maznaim, or they can come to Baltimore, or they can have a friend coming here for a weekend or something. Happy to hand them a safer. Okay, so Definitely I'll... accessible. And it's been quoted by Rabbi Reisman. At least, at least four times. Okay, and I will put and, that... Very tough okay, so I'll put any information that I can get from you in the show's notes. Uh, by the way, I wanted to just mention, you mentioned Rav Nochem Lansky. He was mentioned on the podcast, actually, I believe, because when I interviewed Hud Ezrael about his father, he published a Sefer Pnei Moshe, uh, I think mm-hmm. Rav Lansky has a shtickle in there, in that Sefer. So I think he mentioned him. But like you said, not a very well-known figure. Uh, so finally, what is the message of the Shvatim? Of, that we should take out. I think there's a very important message here. I've talked to Stephen Shkubur about this place lately. You know, when a person has certain cocos, they may think that to be modest is to say, no, I don't have those cocos. I'm not smart. I'm not this. These things are gifts, gifts from Akash Baruch Hu. The thing is, a person has to realize that they are gifts. A person is not self made to be smart or charismatic connected or have parents who have money and wealth, they have to realize I have the gift and I have required to work with them. Shvatim were given different kochos. They didn't necessarily earn them. Some of them were given more kochos of malchus or kuna and things fit into their role. It's, it's a pact between the groups. The people who have have to not become uh, conceited about what they have. The ones who don't have have to not be resentful. They appreciate that eventually gave gifts to other people. They play their role. We play our role. A lot of times people mention Shvatim around Shevrachs, around Parshva Midbar, almost like a, like a dismissive thing. Like, it's just all Shvatim, not everybody can be Levi, not everybody can be Yehuda. Not the point. The point is not that everyone should be and try to compete. Be the best one that you are. That's just the role you have to play. That's the function. And I think that, that's the message. And it was very interesting. When I, when I finished the Hakdama, the last word I had was Gishachad Balevachad. When I was organizing my mom at the end, I just put them in order, the last ones with Benjamin. He turned to the end of the Sefer and said, what's the last word in the Sefer? The Mimer says, I ended up Kishan and I ended it with 
Levechad. I guess it was, that was permeating the whole Sefer without realizing it. I actually want to ask you one final question. Being that this episode is part of an episode on the Aserah Seshvatim, the Ten Lost Tribes, how should listeners, going forward the rest of the series, or wherever they're listening to this in the series order, how should they view the Aserah Seshvatim? Is it just, you know, people think of, like I said in the beginning, there's just Jews, Klal Yisrael, some are missing, some are here, of course, but is it more than just that? Is it is it, is it more than that, essentially? I believe we need all, all 12 shots. We need, we need the kochas they provide. We, we don't have them accessible the same way. We don't have them accessible to know who's Minyam and who's Yehuda, which means we lack, you know, it's like you go to a dispenser and you try to get a drink of this or of that, and everything comes all together. Maybe you have a lot of variety, but you just taste one mush. We, we want the Shvatim to come back. We want them to come back and be in this gala. We mentioned it in the Philos and Yom Narayim. We mentioned it in a number of places. And I think we should aspire to have access to the Shvatim, their completeness, and to know what they are and let them shine in. That would be a benefit to all of us, I believe. Okay. Thank you, Rafishal, for joining me to discuss the 12 Shvatim and the 10 Shvatim. And um, like I said, I'll put a information about how to purchase the safer in the show's notes for anyone interested and there's way more in the safer than we discussed here we were just scratching the surface so thank you once again for joining me thank you very much.